chapter 8 is where we're going to start out tonight. If you need a Bible, follow along with us. We'll see how far the Lord takes us, but Psalm chapter 8 is where we're going to begin. So we just started this study in the book of Psalms a couple weeks ago, and it's a wonderful, glorious study that we're in. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible. John will slip you a Bible. We'll just go through the Word of God chapter by chapter, verse by verse, just being comforted and encouraged in God's Word. It's a blessing to be here to be able to do that. As you're turning to the middle of your Bible, that's where you'll find the book of Psalms, chapter 8. Just a couple of things that I want to pass along to you. And that is um, on Friday, 6 to 8, parents, is the middle schoolers are going to be here. And then on Saturday, from 6 to 8, the high schoolers, uh, that's in the evening, um, not in the morning, okay, Um, they will be here um, meeting. So middle schoolers, 6 to 8 on Friday, and then 6 to 8 on Saturday um, as they have their youth events. Also on Saturday, men, we have men's prayer at 7 o'clock. We welcome you to that and um, invite you, and um, we'd love to see you here. 8 o'clock, we'll have men's breakfast over at Golden Corral and uh, down the street on 23rd Avenue. Then on Sunday morning at 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock, First of all, I want to remind you that we need to set our clocks ahead one hour, okay? So we lose an hour of sleep, but that's okay, um, because the days will be longer. And, um, and so remember, we go to daylight savings time. So set your clocks ahead one hour. And, um, and we'll be here at 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock as we finish John's gospel, as we're going to see that Peter, the one the last time that we saw Peter, well, um, he had seeing that the tomb was empty, and, um, and get a whistle or something going on. But, um, but anyhow, there was um, Peter that had denied the Lord and uh, failed miserably. So uh, we're going to see that he's going to be restored to ministry. So a great way to end this wonderful book that we have been involved in and studying over the last several months. So invite somebody out to Calvary Chapel as we finish John's Gospel. After John, then we're going to start a book in Peter's epistles, First and Second Peter, that will take us to summer. And uh, very powerful epistles that he wrote that's in the back of your New Testament. And uh, we're going to look at that very carefully again, First uh, and Second Peter, after we finish John. So that's where we're going to go on Sunday mornings. Um, there is other things that are there in your bulletin. And uh, just continue to... Um, you know, we're going to update you on some things. We're planning for Vacation Bible School. Guys, we're going to be uh, starting sign-up for a men's conference that we're going to have in April. Really looking forward to that. Guys, I really want to encourage you to come to that if you can. And um, the reason is, is because as guys, we need to be encouraged. Uh, we all need to be encouraged. But um, I pray that it's a time where, as we take that theme of Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, that Nehemiah says, I'm not going to get off the wall. Um, I'm doing a great work, and um, I'm going to continue to do the work of God. He's going to stay on the wall as God had called him to build the wall around Jerusalem. And we went over the book of Nehemiah last summer and, and the book of Esther, you know, and, and those wonderful books that uh, the children of Israel, after they had come back from the Babylonian captivity. And Nehemiah was such a godly man, a man of integrity and a man of purpose and a a man who uh, really uh, was dedicated to serving the Lord and and being committed to doing what God had called him to do. And I just feel very 
um, very um, much where I want to just encourage uh, you guys and all of us to, to continue to do that because there's so many distractions that are out there in the world. And I think one of the things that I see in the church and being a pastor for 20-some years now that more and more what happens is, um, and this is just my opinion, but um, as I observe that sometimes Christians are bored in these days. They get bored very easily with our convenient Christianity and just the way that, um, you know, things are. And, and that can happen to us if we're not careful. We get bored. We get um, idle. Um, our Christianity is about convenience and feel-good messages and, and all these other things. And, um, and I don't ever want to be about that here at Calvary Chapel. I want to be about teaching you the word of God and encouraging in you and your walk because we do live in very unique times. And it's in those times where if you start to get bored and get distracted with, there's a thousand and one things that can distract you and not just the guys, but all of us and our young people. And what's going to happen is it gets a foothold for the enemy in the world to get, you know, a stronghold into your life. And we see that all throughout the scriptures. You know, it was David. David was cruising. David, you know, when the time that he should have been out the war, when the kings, as Second Samuel chapter 11 tells us, were fighting and out the war, what did David say? I'm not going to do it. You know, I, I'm in my 50s. Uh, I've, I've defeated a lot of the enemy. And what did he do? He went up on the balcony. And he starts surfing the Internet. Right? And he saw Bathsheba. And he ended up sinning. And it had terrible, terrible consequences. And so we see those kinds of things all throughout the scriptures. And, and I want to encourage you guys that stay up on the wall. He had stationed the workers in front of his families, you know, where their houses. And they were close to their family. And they were side by side. And, and we need each other. We need to be in a place where we're encouraging each other. And, and I just feel very strong, and my heart is very stirred in this way. For a while, I was wondering, what is it that I want to encourage the men in when we do the men's conference? And, um, you know, just praying about it over the last uh, few months since last fall. And, um, and, you know, the Lord has just been showing me these things that this is where we want to go. So we want to encourage you guys, and we're going to have other guys from some of the other Calvaries here going to be a great time of encouragement so wives encourage your husbands to come all right and um and then you guys encourage one another to come and um and let's really encourage one another <laughs> one of the things that i want to do is um that we're going to start later this month and we'll announce it is i want to have a young timothy's discipleship and i've been praying about that and the lord's really stirring my heart and I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I want to take those who are young, and uh, that might mean young in age and young in the Lord, but those who really you know, need that encouragement. Timothy was one that Paul took him under his wing and discipled him, and guys like Titus and, and others that you read about in the New Testament, and they were faithful to the service of the Lord, faithful and growing in the Lord, and they went through some tough times. It was not easy to have Paul as your mentor because that meant you were probably going to sit in a prison cell. 
and it meant that you're probably going to be there when he got thrown in jail like Silas did and beaten with rods. And I'm not saying that, you know, ooh, that's really intense and really heavy. Well, it is, but what I'm saying is, is that, um, that, again, you know, our young people, there's so many temptations and pulls on them from, from high school on. Even in, in middle school, it starts. But to really encourage the guys to start having a devotion time, that is such a key. If you're not having a devotion time, I will get to Psalm 8, all right? But if you're not having a devotion time, you need to have that. Not because, you know, God won't love me or it's a legalistic kind of thing. It's important for us to be healthy, that you're staying in tune with the Lord, that you're seeking the Lord every day. And that's what we see in these Psalms here, that David, that early in the morning he sought the Lord, that we've already seen those, those morning Psalms. We've already seen an evening Psalm. But it was important, David, his fellowship with the Lord, and it's the same with all of us, to be ones that we start our day with the Lord, that we're men of prayer, women of prayer, that we're men and women of the word. And that's what I want to really emphasize and encourage these young guys in, you know, young Timothy class. And so we're going to have that to come on Saturday. We'll schedule it a couple Saturdays a month and to encourage them to serve the Lord where, you know, they're gifted in certain areas and, and, and all of us have different giftings and, and ministries that we can be a part of, but to encourage them to serve the Lord. You know, these are very, very, very um, unique times that we're living in. I don't know if any of you listened to Benjamin Netanyahu's speech to the Joint Congress yesterday. Absolutely incredible address. And I felt like as the Prime Minister of Israel was uh, speaking to our leaders, both sessions of Congress, to the Congress and to the Senate there, there's very few world leaders that get to do that. And he came to the United States and there was, you know, kind of some controversy that was stirred up upon, you know, within the you know, politics of Washington, D.C., saying that he's only coming so he can boost his polls in the election that's coming up. But he came with a very specific warning. And as he spoke, he, he was talking about uh, the Feast of Perm. Now, today, you remember that we were just in the Book of Esther. And we know what the Book of Esther was about, that there was a Persian king that was going to you know, sign a decree that the Jews were going to be wiped out on a certain day. And it was all by the hands of Haman you know, and, and his dastardly and deceitful plan that he brought to the king of Persia. And so there was a day where all the Jews were going to be wiped out. And, of course, God would raise up Esther to intervene and, and to you know, expose the, the plan to the king. And so the king would write another decree that the Jews could defend themselves. But Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, made reference to that tax, to the scriptures. That 2,500 years ago, there was a Persian king, you know, that signed that decree and where our people almost got wiped out. And now there's another Persian leader, the Iranian leaders, that are desiring to make weapons of mass destruction, and he's warning the world. I felt like that the prime minister was like in Ezekiel, it talks about the watchman on the wall to give warning 
And that's what he's doing. He's warning the world that, listen, this whole you know, nuclear deal that you're coming up with Iran to try to prevent them from building a nuclear weapon is not a good deal. It's a bad deal. It doesn't prevent them what you're coming up with and what you're agreeing with and, and giving into that Iranians are pretty much you know, digging in their heels. And it's not a good plan, he says. It's a terrible plan. It doesn't prevent them from getting a nuclear weapon. It just maybe delays them a little bit, but it makes a pathway for them to do it. And you have a regime that is desiring to wipe my people out, is what he said. And that's why he made you know, reference to Esther, that in their tweets and in their you know, speeches of the Ayatollahs and you know, their leaders are saying, Israel must be wiped off the face of the earth. And as I listen to that, I, I see that God is using that man to give a warning to the world. And also we see that what's happening is exactly what the Bible said would happen. And we talked about this in our prophecy update, didn't we, on New Year's Eve, just a couple you know, weeks ago, a couple months ago on New Year's Eve. But um, he would make reference to when they came out of the wilderness and, and Moses said that you be strong of good courage and don't be afraid. And he said that we, if we stand alone, we will stand, Israel. And so we have a president. And you guys know I'm not real political. I don't talk about political things. I'd rather talk about Jesus. But this ties into that what's happening and what we're seeing. We got a president who would not receive Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, no one in the White House. Some of the leaders would walk out of that, but he also had great support. And yet we have, you know, the Secretary of State that refused to meet with Benjamin Netanyahu, but he would meet with the Iranian leaders. It's kind of a, a weird deal when you look at it. But we know what the scripture says. And I think that the pieces of the puzzle of Ezekiel chapter 38 are, are really coming together. I really do. And we need to be wise and, and watching as this confederation of nations with Russia and Persia, which is Iran, are going to have a massive invasion of Israel in the Middle East. And we know that Ezekiel 38 and 39 tells us that God will save Israel and fight on their behalf. And we know that's a battle that's going to be in the last days. We don't know the exact timing of it, but it very well could be the next major war that's going to happen in the Middle East. And we're seeing all this confederation of nations that's spoken of in Ezekiel 38 coming together. And we got the president of Israel that's saying, or the prime minister, that you guys, this is a danger. And it's a danger to not only us, but the whole region and the whole world. And here's the thing that we need to understand that I hope that we're getting as we go through the scriptures is that you got to look at it through the spiritual lenses, not just the geopolitical lenses. And there is a, a apocalyptic dimension to this that Iran and also the Sunnis, who are the ones that um, have ISIS and going throughout the, the Middle East of Syria and into Iraq, that are killing Christians. You've got to understand that they have this, this, this you know, uh, last days, this uh, radical, militant, apocalyptic kind of mentality of the, the Islamic Mahdi is going to come, the Islamic Messiah, the 12th Iman. 
They both agree to that. But here's the thing. They disagree on how it's going to be done. So you have ISIS, which is a real threat that is committing uh, genocide throughout the Middle East and horrible atrocities that are happening to Christians. And we're seeing it on the news. And I'll tell you what, it's far worse than what the news is reporting. We have brothers and sisters that are being killed and martyred for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ in villages that are being wiped out. And we saw how there was multiple you know, Christians, Coptic Christians in Egypt, that they had a video, like 90 of them lined up, and they beheaded them. That's what we're seeing today. And that's the evil and the darkness. And, and we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted, and it's spreading. Here's the thing about, you know, terrorism. When 9-11 happened, you know, when the Twin Towers fell, we began to learn about, you know, terrorism and, and words like Al-Qaeda and, and people like Osama bin Laden. We, we weren't really educated in that. We had seen some terrorist acts, airplanes being blown up and other terrorist things that happened. We saw, you know, the Marines in Beirut that were killed um, as they were there stationed uh, by terrorist attacks. But we didn't know the, all the things that were taking place. And Al-Qaeda was pretty much in Afghanistan, so we ended up going to war, and, and the war on terrorism would begin shortly after 9-11. And I remember being down at Ground Zero, being with the rubble when it was still burning, and being with a group of pastors as we were ministering to New York City police officers and, and ministering to the people down there. It, it was absolutely incredible to see that and to meet Benjamin Netanyahu down there at Ground Zero. And I remember he was standing there to had a platform and all the rubble and, and the damage, and he was standing there with his delegation and us pastors were standing behind him and he was just shaking his head and you could hear him just kind of turn over to him and said we warned them this would happen we told them we knew that they were capable of doing something like this and now once again he's in the halls of congress he's warning the world that iran that it is the greatest sponsor of terrorism that is in the world and they are very dangerous and they have this, he understands that they have this spiritual dimension that they want to usher in the 12th Iman and that means that they're going to kill the Jews and kill the Christians and they're going to get rid of the great Satan America and they're going to get rid of and annihilate the little Satan Israel. We need to understand that. That that is driving their you know, foreign policies and they really believe that. So you have ISIS, the Sunnis, who believe they do it by genocide and by uh, you know, burning people alive and beheading them and torturing them and, whip, uh, and raping women. And that's going to usher in the 12th Iman. Iran says that we're going to do it by getting a bomb and then we can do mass bombing and wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And also anybody else that we feel is you know, against us, and that means the great Satan. That means targets, if they get ballistic missiles, and Benjamin Netanyahu was saying, listen, they're only weeks away, not months or years, but they're only weeks away from developing nuclear weapons, and this is a bad deal, and wake up, America. And that's what's being told. He's the watchman on the wall. What is interesting, folks, is we've gone over Ezekiel 38 and 39, and we're not going to go over it tonight, but here's the thing. In chapter 39, there's a little verse there 
that says that those who secure, are secure in the coastlands, that fire is going to fall on them. That's a very sobering verse. And Bible experts and commentators and those who study end-time prophecy are looking at saying, what does that mean? That those in the coastlands that are secure, fire is going to fall on them. Well, those in the coastland, does that mean that there's going to be an exchange of missiles in other places, Europe, the United States? Every dot and tittle of the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures, all of it, of end-time prophecy is going to be fulfilled to the letter. These are not days to get bored. All right? These are very perilous times, and we're seeing, we're rushing towards the return of the Lord. And these are days for us to be a light and to be encouraged in the Lord. And Satan knows he can very easily distract us, guys, and pull us away from the things of the Lord and the things that are important, all of us. So we need to be about the Lord's business and about studying the Word of God and encouraging each other and discipling and praying for one another and loving one another. Because not only is it perilous times, but it can be very exciting times for you to be used. For you to be used. And that means that you keep your eyes on the Lord and he wants to use you to be light and, and to give truth and, and to be able to minister to others in this crazy, mixed-up world. And it is. It is a crazy, mixed-up world. So we need to be praying for our nation. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our president. You say, I don't like our president. You are to pray for our leaders. That's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. And we need to pray for our country. Because I think that our country is headed in a direction that I'm very concerned about, and so are you, many of you, spiritually, morally. We're bankrupt financially. We continue, 55 million babies aborted and counting. We know that the pornography industry is huge. It's a huge, huge problem. sex trafficking of young people, of children. It is getting darker and more depraved. And we need to be on our knees praying. And there are many people, you know people that are hurting and in darkness and are wondering. And you get to be a light to them. One of the things that we're going to talk about is it was when they came back, Zerubbabel and Joshua, to rebuild the temple, they laid the foundation of the temple. And in the book of Zechariah, what happened is they got discouraged. And, and they went and they began to just focus on building their own homes and paneled houses. And, and the work of the Lord stopped for a number of years. And so it is Zechariah that received that vision that, you know what, you go tell Zechariah, tell Zechariah, that don't despise the day of small things. And you might think that you, where your planet and where God has you at the workplace or out in the field, guys, or, you know, wherever it might be, that it's insignificant. It's not. And God wants to use you where he has placed you and planted you to be a light because there are so many people in darkness, so many people confused, so many that don't know the Lord. Don't get bored and don't get distracted. 
but you keep learning of the things of God. And that might mean that, you know, there are some things that we need to get rid of in our lives. And to redeem the time that we have and use our time wisely for the kingdom. So that's where I really want to encourage everybody in and, and where we want to go and, and this Easter season that we've entered into and, and we'll be celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ here in a few weeks and, and for us to be watching and waiting and be wise and faithful servant. All right? Okay, I'm done. We'll go to Psalm 8. But Father, we do. We do pray, Lord. We don't want to get sloppy. We don't want to get lazy. We don't want to get... Uh, Lord, to where we're lethargic and and not paying attention. But we want to stay focused. We want to, Lord, be about um, just growing in your love and in your word, growing in your grace. And, Lord, there are so many poles out there in the world. There's so many things that can distract us. There's the temptation to get bored to be idle. And Lord, you want us to be faithful, to be watching, to be wise. So help us to do that. And Father, we do pray for our nation. We're being warned. We're being warned of impending danger that is coming, and the scripture speaks of it. And I pray that our leaders would listen, that somehow you would open up their ears and open up their eyes spiritually and soften their hearts. We as a nation, as we say, God bless America, you have blessed us. You have blessed us to where we're the greatest nation on the face of the earth, but a nation that was once considered a Christian nation no longer is. And we're getting further and further away from you. Lord, we're calling evil good, and we're calling good evil. There's more of an attack on, on your word, on Christians, on those who stand on the truth of your word. So, Lord, may we stand fast, be strong and good courage. And Lord, knowing that the world is going to come against us, not befriend us. The world's going to hate us because it first hated Jesus, as he would say. And we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're of another kingdom, a kingdom that's going to be established forever. And so, Father, I pray that tonight as we just take time to talk about these things, Lord, to be encouraged, and and there's a reason why, because, Lord, we do live in perilous times, and We need to be exhorted to keep our hand to the plow and not look back. To serve you and to keep growing in your word. And Lord, to be about where we are being a light to others, where you have placed us, and help us not to get discouraged. Lord, I pray if there's things in our lives that are keeping us from that close intimacy with you and being used of you, that, Lord, just as Jesus said, if your hand causes you to, to, to you know, offends and, and sins, then get rid of it. Cut it off. Lord, we radically need to deal with things, get things out of the way and out of our homes that cause us to stumble, to not make excuses, but to put aside the pr- 
pride and arrogance and humble ourselves before you. And may as a church we do that. May we never boast in anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Lord, knowing that it's by your grace and by your incredible love and mercy that we're here, that you brought us together, that we can celebrate our salvation, even as we'll come to the communion table tonight. And Lord, may we, Lord, just continue to grow in your love. I pray for our young people. But they're being told that the word of God is not true. The attacks that come against them at such a young age, I pray that we would get them grounded and teach them and love them. And Lord, for all of us, whatever the struggles are out there and whatever the temptations are, that, Lord, Jesus would say to his disciples, pray lest you fall into temptation. That, again, that we would be ones, that this would be a, a safe place for us, a sanctuary away from the world. And, Lord, that we would have our devotion times, that we would have our time of staying close to you and hearing your voice. Lord, just bless our time as we study Psalm 8 here tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, in my own devotions, I was reading Jeremiah, and I was just thinking of this. You know, Jeremiah was on the scene for 40 years, and he's telling the leaders, he's telling the leaders, you know what, listen, this is going to happen. Judgment's going to come. Um, you know, uh, bad things are going to happen if you don't turn back to the Lord. And they ignored Jeremiah. For 40 years, Jeremiah had that voice. We are living in a day of grace. But, um, you know, I feel like so much today, even Christians today, um, are ignoring that message that we are living in a time where we are getting closer to the return of the Lord, I believe. And uh, our nation is um, spiritually sick. And um, even in the church, that um, there are things that, and I'm not one that wants to have a spirit of, of being critical but even in the church today that is a weak church because, you know, here's the thing. When I get, you know, 20 emails and mailings every week and how to grow your church and stuff, it's never about teaching the Word of God. It's never about being a church that prays. It's never about those things. It's about how fancy, how big theater seats, you know, buzzwords, um, how you dress, how you speak, how you present yourself, having the right lights and all of that. That's what the emphasis is. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, in fellowship, koinonia, really caring for each other really caring for each other and breaking bread and in prayer. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, and they turned the world upside down. And that's what we need to be about. Psalm chapter 8 is a wonderful expression of the praise by David as he is amazed at God's wonderful creation. This is the second messianic psalm. And the title is to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, the psalm of David. And he starts out this psalm, O Lord, our Lord, 
How excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Now, in Psalm 8, just as we saw last week in Psalm 7 and in Psalm 6, he starts the prayer out by, O Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized. And that's the name of God. Now, you remember, as we've gone through John's gospel, that Jesus made those statements of deities. He said, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. Um, he would claim deity before Abraham was I am there in John chapter 8. And what did the religious leaders do? They picked up stones to stone Jesus, didn't they? And they were going to stone Jesus because he declared to be God. When Moses was at the burning bush, Moses said, what is your name that I can tell your people what your name is? And what was God's answer? His answer was, I am that I am. You tell them that I am has sent you. So that's the name of God. So they would translate it there in the Old Testament, the, the scholars and, and um, the scribes, in Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, with no vowels, because they reverenced the name of God so much they didn't want to pronounce it. They were afraid they might pronounce it wrong. It was translated to Jehovah. So that's what we see here. When you see capital L-O-R-D, it's the name, I am. It's the name Yahweh, Jehovah. And then Lord, our Lord, capital L-O-R-D, small case, that is the Hebrew word Adonai, which means master. So when David is using that word, he, he uses Lord at the beginning, Yahweh, the true and the living God, um, Jehovah, the I am, that, O oh Lord, our Lord, my master. He speaks of his relationship with the Lord. And one of the things that we've already seen very clearly and we'll continue to see here as we go through the Psalms, is the Psalms of David, that his relationship with the Lord was priority, was so important to him. And he mentions that in his fellowship with the Lord. And here he, he speaks of that fellowship. He's my master. How excellent is your name in all the earth, not just in Israel, but in all the earth. How excellent is your name, O Lord, O Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, in all the earth. And then he's going to speak about how the Lord is the creator of earth, the creator of, of the heavens, as he speaks about, um, you know, uh, the creation here. But first in verse 2, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. You might recall in Matthew chapter 21, when Jesus was in his final days, right before he went to the cross, and after he made his triumphal entry, you remember the triumphal entry of Jesus as recorded in all four of the Gospels, and the people were waving palm branches, and they were laying down their clothes, and they were crying out to him, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, after that, we see that Jesus, the religious leaders, were following him around. They, they were trying to trap him, trying to figure a way that how can we arrest him? And, and, and they were very upset at Jesus and angry and had this deep hatred for him. Well, the children were crying out to Jesus, as you read in Matthew chapter 21. They were saying um, that Hosanna to the son of David. That's what they were addressing Jesus. The children coming along and, and saying that. Well, the religious leaders got mad at the children. Don't call him son of David. That's a messianic term. And Jesus responded to the religious leaders and said, Have you never read? And he made a reference here to Psalm 8 verse 2 that out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. 
In other words, God is so great that he can entrust his praise to children. To children. Do you realize the gospel is not so difficult that children can receive it and understand it? And what a glorious day that is when our children come to us, moms and dads and and grandparents, when they say, you know what, I received Jesus. Whether you read the Bible to them and explained salvation to them and they say, I want Jesus in my heart, or whether they heard it from a Sunday school teacher or somewhere else, that they, they received the Lord. The gospel is not so difficult that a child can't understand it and receive it and then praise God for it. And that's why we place such an importance on ministering to the children. And I think that this new curriculum that that the uh, children's ministry teachers are using um, that speaks of God's creation, that that speaks of the gospel message, is such a wonderful curriculum that the children are growing in the Word of God and they're learning truth. and, And we're thankful for those who are taking the time to do that and ministering to the kids that are here, even as it's taking place here tonight. But God is so great that he can entrust his praise to children. And by the way, know this, that the leaders of the world are going to get upset over that because they don't want our children to learn about Jesus. They don't want our children to know that God created them and loves them and wants to save them and has a wonderful plan for them. The Lord desires for for them to come to that place of praising him, of crying out to him, Hosanna to the son of David. The world wants to say that you are just a product of chance. That you were created through evolutionary processes and you're a product of a monkey. And that's what they want to tell our children. And that's why we need to pray for our children and be committed to giving them the truth, giving them the truth of the gospel. Again, you know, I've heard people that have said in churches that have said, well, we don't really want to give the gospel because we don't want to, you know, seem, you know, pushy or where we want to be seeker sensitive. And it's like, why not? That's the whole purpose of coming, you know, and and understanding truth is to receive the gospel as the power of God to salvation, to change our lives. The gospel is good news. Why would you want to keep that from anyone? Or to dance around it to where you don't make it clear that, listen, we are all sinners. And Jesus came and died for us sinners, every single one of us, and took our sin upon himself, and he cried out, it is finished, I've done the work. I paid the price. I've made atonement for your sins. And that he was put into a grave and he rose again after three days. And he has provided forgiveness of sin as we come in faith. He has done the work. We receive salvation. It's a free gift. We believe as we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Why wouldn't you want to make that clear to people when we have opportunity to? But the world will try to keep our children away and others away. The enemies of God will try to silence the message that we have to give to others. That you may silence the enemy and the avenger because out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength. He goes on and he talks about when I consider your 
heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. I, I love David here. I just picture him. He's writing this song. He's just praising the Lord. Maybe he, he is out you know, in Jerusalem somewhere, maybe on the Mount of Olives. He went for a walk, and he's there, and he's looking at the sky, maybe out in the wilderness. We don't know when this was written. Maybe in a time where he's out there, and it's more peaceful time, and he's just looking at the stars, and spring is coming, and summer's coming, and we're going to spend time outside, and some of you are going to go camping. And it isn't it great just to go out and look at the stars when you get outside in the countryside and in Northwell County, you go out to Pawnee. Matter of fact, many stargazers will go out into that area because it's so dark. And in southern Wyoming, they say it's the clearest sky in the world. To be able to go and, and look at the stars and you see the Milky Way galaxy and, and it's incredible. You, you, you watch it and you see it. And sometimes it's almost like the stars are on top of you. Isn't that great? And, and you go, wow. And that's what David is doing. Lord, when I, and when I think about this, I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained. Isn't it interesting that the first two chapters of the Bible talks about how God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and he doesn't go into a lot of details, you know. He says, matter of fact, very short sentences, he created the sun, the moon, and he created the stars. That's pretty much it. And when you look at the vastness that the heavens do declare the glory of God, that he, he created that, he spoke and it came into existence. When I was a kid in elementary school, they told us that the visible universe was about four light years, four billion light years across. Now they say it's about 20. Now I know it hasn't grown that much since you know, I was a kid, but they've been able to send satellites and telescopes up into you know, space that looks further out into the universe and they bring back these incredible pictures of different galaxies and planets and, and all kinds of cool stuff and you look at it and you go, wow. And that's what David's doing. He's looking at the stars. He says, wow, when I consider the, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained. And then he goes on, what is man that you're mindful of him? And what is the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Who am I is what David is saying. In this vast universe, this, this incredible glory that is you know, displayed by you, the creator. Who am I that you would even think about puny me in this vast universe, in this big world? Who am I that, who is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that he should visit us? Maybe, just maybe, somebody's here tonight. And you might think that I am so insignificant Nobody cares about me. Nobody's mindful of me. Nobody notices me. You might feel all alone, but I want you to know this. That David, as he's, he's writing this down, he's just at all. It's a rhetorical question. What is man that you're mindful of him? In other words, he knows that the Lord, that he was special in the sight of the Lord and that fellowship that he had. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how wonderful is your name in all the earth. 
that I can have fellowship with you and closeness, that he is mindful of you and he loves you. Don't ever forget that. And he desires to do such a wonderful thing in your life as a believer. And if you're here or anybody listening to this message that you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, what is man that the Son of Man should visit us? He loved you so much that he sent his Son for you to visit you, to visit us who went to the cross to die on Calvary's cross. That's how important you are to the Lord. So the first two chapters, he talks about creation. The last two chapters of the Bible in Genesis, or Revelation chapters 21 and 22, he talks about he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Everything in between. God talks about how he works in the affairs of man, how he sent his son to die for us, to give us hope, how he wants to work in our lives, save us, forgive us. The promises of God given to us. That's how important we are to him. You are so important that David writes here, you're the crowning jewel of his creation. Isn't that big galaxy out there? It's you. It's you, and don't ever forget that. The kingdom of God is like a treasure that was buried in a field, and a man found the treasure and gave all that he had to buy the field to take the treasure out, is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13. And Jesus, who came to this world, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but was obedient, obedient to the Father. As he humbled himself, was obedient to death, to death on the cross. That he gave up everything and went to a cross so that he redeemed the world, the field, so he can have the treasure, you. You are a treasure. And you're the crowning jewel of his creation, and he loves you. And don't ever forget that. And he goes on and he writes that you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So we see here that David talking about the dominion of man and you know, the excellent name of God again. And it's interesting, in verse 8 here, just a little side note, David writes the paths of the sea, speaking about how there's currents in the oceans. Now, the father of oceanography uh, in 1800s was a guy by the name of Murray that began to talk about ocean currents. David's speaking about it nearly 3,000 years before that time, paths that were in the sea, just absolutely incredible. But in Psalm 9, as we look at Psalm 9 very quickly, that we see to the chief musician, the title says, to the tune of the death of the son, a psalm of David. And in here, don't, as you read the title, to the tune of the death of a son, it is not talking about here, you know, about the death of David's son. It's not talking about that. This emphasis of this psalm here is joy and praise. So the ancient Chaldean version is concerning the death of a champion who went out between the camps. It is believed that David wrote this about the time or after the event that he, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, that he killed Goliath, the champion of Gath, the giant. 
and the joy and, and the praise as he writes about it. And he writes here, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. And I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. David is praising God with his whole heart. And a person who worships with his whole heart is a person that will have the joy of the Lord. And worship is worshiping with our hearts, not with our voices. And sometimes we can get into the mode of just singing and going through the motions, but our hearts are to be worshiping the Lord. And our praise will overflow from our lives. And we praise him as we, as David writes here, declare his marvelous works. He has saved us, forgiven us. He has made us a new creation. We're born again by the Spirit of God, the, the heavenly blessings that we have. His work in us and through us and with us is so incredible. We can praise him for that. And second of all, we can be glad and rejoice in who you are, Lord. Praising God for who he is. He is so good in the greatness of God. And David's just praising the Lord in that way. And when my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. And you sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities. Even their memory have perished. But the Lord shall enter, endure that is forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. And he shall judge the world in righteousness. And he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. And so David here just writing how God gives us victory. God is in control, and God will rebuke the wicked. They are not going to have the victory. Will you remember that? Because in some of these Psalms, matter of fact, we'll see it in Psalm 10, David's writing about, it seems like those who do wickedly, who don't believe in God, who, you know, just kind of, you know, um, that they, they seek their own and... and they're like preying on the poor, the weak, and all that. seems like they're getting away with it. But David is reminded that God is going to get the victory, that he's going to be the righteous judge, and he is the righteous judge. And the Lord will also be a refuge for the oppressed, verse 9, a refuge in time of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And so here, God is our refuge in time of trouble. And we can put our trust in him because we know his name, which speaks of relationship. He will not forsake us. Remember he told his disciples in that upper room, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. But I bring another's going to come. That is the comforter, the helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit. In verse 11, sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them and does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me, who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughters of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made, in the net which they have hid, and their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes, and the wicked is snared in the works of his own hands. And he writes meditation, a pause that is here. God remembers his people, the humble, the poor, the afflicted, is what he meant there in verse 12. He has saved us from eternal damnation, and we rejoice in our salvation, verse 14. And the world is going to be judged. The wicked will be snared in the works of their own hands. 
listen, when you go through the Psalms and when you go through the Proverbs, we see this all throughout the scriptures, but particularly the Psalms and the Proverbs, they, there's a clear distinction between those who put their trust in the Lord and those who don't, between those who are godly and those who are ungodly, between those who have faith and those who do not have faith, who say in their heart, I don't believe in God, between those who are wise and those who are fools. There's a clear distinctive um, that are given there in the scriptures. And then Psalms and Proverbs points out how we're on two completely different paths. And on the right path of believing in the Lord and trusting in him, that we're going to have victory. We have victory. And our destiny is we're going to rule and reign with him. The destiny of the world, those who are unbelievers, those who continue in their wickedness and don't repent, it's going to be death and destruction. And that's what David writes a lot about in these Psalms. The wicked, verse 17, shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. And arise, O Lord, let, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. You know, David oftentimes would write, Lord, help me remember that I'm just a man. And also the nations, that those who reject the Lord, that it's not going to be good for them. And that's why we need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our nation. And we need to pray that there's a turning back to him to get on that right path of trusting in the Lord. Later on in the book of Psalms, we'll see that David will write, some trust in horses and some in chariots. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for, um, Lord, this time that we've had to just study your word and be in the scriptures and look at these psalms. And, Lord, just, just talk about some things tonight that are important for us as Christians. And Lord, as we come to the to communion table, as it gets handed out, these communion elements, first of all, I just pray if there's anyone here, anyone here listening to this message, that you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you have gone to church, maybe you have read some of the Bible, but you've never surrendered your life to him as Lord and Savior. It's about relationship. It isn't about religion. It's about surrendering your heart to Jesus who died for you because you're the crowning jewel of his creation. And he was mindful of you, that he visited us, came to this world to die for you. That's why we come to the communion table to remember what Jesus did for us. Taking communion won't mean anything to you if you're not a believer. It's a time of worship and awe and celebrating this new covenant that we belong to as believers. That Jesus allowed his body to be broken for you and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. You see, there's a sin problem and all of us were born sinners. None of us are perfect. And the world may call us good, but in God's eyes and God's standard, none of us are good enough, only Jesus who died in place of us and for us on that cross because he loves you. And now as you surrender your life to Jesus, then he says that we become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness imputed to us. 
If you've never done that, will you surrender your life to Jesus tonight? Today is the day of salvation. And you pray right where you're sitting, Jesus, I come to you and I surrender my life to you. I know you love me because I see that you came to this world for me. And I thank you for dying for me and proving your love for me. I believe you died on the cross. Forgive me of my sins. And yet you're alive, that I believe in a risen, living Savior because you're knocking on the door of my heart and I now open my heart to you and let you and be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And I want to have personal relationship with you and with the Father that comes only through you. Thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer tonight, I want you to, to come up and pray after we get done with communion. Just tell me the decision you made so I can pray with you. Or if you're listening on live stream, just a call and leave us a message. And, just have me pray with you this week on the phone, whatever the case may be. But Lord, now as we come to the communion table, may we just have this time of worship and just allowing you to minister to our hearts, just holding the elements in our hands, remembering the incredible work that you've done for us. Just as David said, I, I praise you for your wonderful deeds. That's what we do right now. In Jesus' name. The ushers will hand out the communion elements. Let's hold on to them and we'll partake of them together.